with Clean Food Dirty Girl, and you are listening to episode 16 of the Clean Food Dirty Girl podcast. So today I am sharing a talk I had with Dr. Esser. Back in May of 2020, we had an amazing talk. We talked about a lot of things, really, and a lot of these things things like he presented things in a way that I hadn't quite thought of them, thought about them before. So it was really insightful. It was very intriguing. And his level of enthusiasm is contagious. Dr. Esser is a fourth generation plant-based eater. He is a Harvard trained medical doctor and did his fellowship at the Mayo Clinic. He is an advocate for lifestyle medicine So lifestyle medicine, for those of you not familiar with what that is, it is a branch of medicine focused on research, prevention, and treatment of chronic disorders attributed to lifestyle. So lifestyle medicine focuses on evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic intervention, including a whole food plant-predominant eating pattern, regular physical activity, restorative sleep, stress stress, <laughs> stress management, avoidance of risky substances and positive social connection as a primary modality delivered by clinicians. It's kind of everything that clean food, dirty girl talks about, right? Um, so lifestyle medicine focuses on educating and motivating patients to improve the quality of their lives by changing personal habits. So this is really about prevention as a first line of defense to avoid receiving a diagnosis instead of relying fully on treatment after something has been diagnosed. So instead of treating the symptom Lifestyle medicine looks at the underlying cause of the problem. And as Dr. Esser said in our talk, doctors are trained to mop up the spill of disease rather than turning off the faucet. And I thought that that was a really good metaphor. So I really loved this talk. And like I said, his passion really comes through. His enthusiasm really comes through. And you can tell that this is a man who is doing what he is meant to do on this planet. Um, it's, it's quite clear that this is his calling. He's, uh, very, very knowledgeable and also really practical. So we talk in this talk, (laughs) uh, why it was troubling for him to go to medical school and why he ultimately continued after he dropped out two weeks in, he really breaks down the problem in medical school and why the medical system is how it is. And he gave me a lot to think about here. One thing that I hear often from our community is that, so we'll see people who are eating, you know, like a standard American diet or even like the healthier version of a standard American diet where the focus is on lean protein and maybe you know, some dairy here and there. And when they switch to a whole food plant-based way of eating, things clear up, like their bodies start working again and they experience much better health. And what I often hear are people who are kind of not pissed off, but just disappointed that their doctors didn't tell them about this 
or they didn't know that it was possible to transform your health through what you eat. And so I've had that question a lot, like, Hey, if this is so powerful and we know that it is right. If this is so, or since this is so powerful, why aren't, why does my doctor tell me about it? Or why, when I go to my doctor and I tell them about it, they don't seem very interested. So in this talk with Dr. Esser, he really tackles that and really talks about why that is. And he gave, gave an answer. Um, it's not a single answer. It's kind of like a three prong answer. And it's kind of the best that I've heard about this. So that was, that was really interesting getting that, getting his perspective on this. He talks about really powerful reasons why should we, why we should all be moving our body and exercising, especially as we age we talk about inflammation and the different types of inflammation. So that was really cool. We talk about free radicals and phytochemicals, and it's just all around a really informative, educational, and inspiring talk. And by the end of it, I was ready to eat some plants, go eat a big, big salad or a sweet potato with some steamed broccoli and kale, and then go for a walk. I was really, I was really inspired. Um, and you know, like I eat a whole food plant-based diet. I I'm already inspired to do it, but this kind of took it to the next level. I was really pumped up after our talk and it really, I think for anybody who's already following a whole, a whole food plant-based way of eating or eating mostly plants, and this is going to really uh, kind of reaffirm why you're doing this. If you are in fact doing this for health reasons. So anyways, enjoy this talk with me and Dr. Esser. I'll see you on the other side. I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about your background to start with. Sure. You know, I I guess I come from a pretty unique background in that I am a fourth generation plant-based eater. Uh, So decades ago, my German-born great-grandfather who lived in Pittsburgh started having health problems. And so he started researching and he found all this cool stuff from back in the day of people like, you know, the Father Kneipp Wasser cure and the, you know, work of uh, Dr. Troll and all of these others who were our forebears in the plant-based, healthy living lifestyle medicine movement. And so he moved his family out of downtown Pittsburgh out to a little nicer area with they could grow some mulberry trees and, you know, run around and play more. And they all started eating plant-based. And the results for him and for his family were so powerful uh, that my grandfather, Dr. William Esser, was inspired to go to the New York College of Naturopathy in downtown Manhattan and, uh, and get trained back in the 1920s and 30s and then went on to uh, really... Uh, take care of patients through plant-based nutrition for 65 years. So he ran a big health ranch in South Florida, 10 acres of gorgeous mango trees and all organic food. And people would come and do therapeutic water fasting, juice detoxes, healthy living. And, uh, you know, so I grew up in this land of miracles, seeing people get well and radically change their health. And so, you know, it was easy to go, wow, you know, this is amazing. And then when I went off to medical school, I was like, wow, we're not talking about nutrition. What's going on? And yet the data is all there. The science is all there. It it wasn't that my grandfather was practicing voodoo. He was practicing good science. And it was just that, unfortunately, the majority of allopathic medical practitioners, that would be MDs for all of you out there, uh, they're just not trained in nutrition. And so as a result, know very little to support their patients. So 
anyway, it's been a, such a great adventure for me because taking it from my grandfather's ranch, climbing the mango trees and, and bringing patients their food and bringing them their water as a little kid to now, you know, having gone to Harvard for my training, then Mayo Clinic for fellowships and all the rest and, and really getting such awesome training, but then combining that as it should be with the best evidence in nutritional medicine has just been a delight. You know, it's mm-hmm. so cool to be able to help people in all aspects. That is a really, really unique and incredible upbringing that you had. How cool is that? It was pretty special. You know, yeah, I mean, that's just, so uh, rare. It is. And, and hopefully, though, it's becoming more and more common, right? As the great work you're doing with all the people you're inspiring and so many voices that are growing in this movement. So it's funny to me, right? Because when stuff comes out like, oh, it looks like, you know, broccoli's so healthy for you, I'm like, and your point is, <laughs> you know, it's like in my family, we've been preaching that for how many decades? Uh, you know, for actually over 70, 80 years now uh, with groups like the National Health Association, which my grandfather was one of the founders of, you know, and all this. So it's just so exciting to see how things are transitioning. Wow. Well, you know, I've never eaten meat in my life. I was raised a plant-based eater. And so I always thought that that was pretty unique, but like you have me topped. (laughs) Well, hey, no competition here. Every day is that new journey and adventure for each of us, right? And that's, yes. I'm always trying to tell my patients. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So what um, field did you go into then when you went, well, well, first of all, when you went to medical school, you wanted to follow in the footsteps of your, of your grandfather. And so when you went off to school, did you have an, like, were you shocked to learn that nutrition, that nutrition wasn't a big piece of that, that plant-based eating and all this wasn't there? Like, did you go into it knowing that it, how it was, or were you quite surprised? So I knew that it wasn't going to be a part okay. of it. And actually my grandfather, you know, had even sat down and he said, look, don't go into medicine. It's a brutal area and your heart, your mind, your soul will be brutalized, you know, by so many voices. And I can just tell you, anytime you want to know stories about, you know, just hazing and brutality, I'm happy to share them. Uh, But, you know, because I was raised so strongly in my beliefs and I had seen so many people radically change their lives and also because I was taught to look at science and actually investigate it myself, that despite all of the hazing and the harassment over years of training, et cetera, you know, the reality was I already knew this was powerful medicine. So I wasn't going to let it go just because some character said, oh, this doesn't work. My response is, show me the science and then let's talk. Mm-hmm. And the science clearly shows, we have data back to 1920s and 30s with studies in France, right, on, on rice reversing type 2 diabetes and on and on. So this data is all there for us. And it's, you know, so it's, it's you know what it was? It was troubling for me to go to medical school. Yeah. It was troubling because to see the stark reality of the science and the data clearly being there and yet it being directly rejected by people who claim they care about science. That was what was hard for me to see. Mm-hmm. So I, I still remember day one, you had a big barbecue, barbecue at medical school, right? And there wasn't a shred of anything green and no fruits of any kind. And so I walked up to the dean and I go, Dean, you know, we are a med school and heart disease is the number one cause of death in America. You know, do you think we should have some salad here next time? And he looked at me, he's like, who is this guy, right? He's never met me before. And he's like, oh, great. I'm going to have this guy here for four years. Um, you know, but hey, next time they had a barbecue, guess what? There was a big salad and a bunch of fruit because he knew that what I was saying was true. Mm-hmm. And so the majority of my peers in med school and the residents and then the attendees and the other docs, all I would do is say, well, here's some data I found. What do you guys think about this? Can you tell me why it's wrong? 
And when they look at the studies by Dean Ornish, right, on heart disease reversal, they look at Pritikin's studies in the 1960s and 70s, they would just, the only response they ever had was, well, patients won't do that. They never could argue with the science and the data because it's so clear. Yeah. And so that is what my whole vision, right? So it's funny, most people don't know this, but I'll tell you a secret. I actually, after two weeks in medical school, I quit and I dropped out and mm -hmm. I left because I said, these people have no soul. There is this huge disconnect between what is reality of science and what we should be doing for people, what I'm already even just hearing. And I actually went off, and it's funny, so I, I used to sing a lot. And my brother called me up and he goes, well, since you just canceled your loans and quit med school, he's like, why don't you go audition for America's, you know, American Idol? And I was like, oh, why not? It was in Orlando, and I was at USF in Tampa. So I drove over, slept on the concrete floors with like 20,000 other people in this big. And I went and I called the dean the night before I was going to audition. I said, you know what, dean? I left a message. He didn't pick up. And I go, maybe I was rash in my decision. Let me know if you think I should come back. And I turned my phone off and I went and I auditioned. And of course, I didn't make it. <laughs> but the next day, I got out to my car and I turned on my phone. And forgive the French, but the dean said on my phone this, these exact words. He said, Esser, get your ass back on campus. We need you here. And I was like, wow. wow. All right. I'm meant to be there. So I went back and I redid my loan signing again because I literally signed off everything. I was done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went back to school and I made it my, my goal Right? I started a health and preventive interest medical you know, interest group for all the students. And I bring in food for all of them. And I started a food co-op for the students. And I did all these things. I started a newsletter for students to try to impact them. Because I'm now on faculty for a family medicine residency, for a sports fellowship. And I have residents and fellows with me all the time. Why? So I can impact their lives for good. So why? So they can go out and impact more lives, right? Because they're going to impact tens of thousands of lives I'll never meet. But if I can touch their lives, they'll then touch them. Mm -hmm. Just like the people that do your program, right, and your mm -hmm. recipes, et cetera, they're learning all this great stuff. And then with their food, they're touching more lives. Mm -hmm. So it's this beautiful circles of influence that just moves outward. That's what I always say to my patients. This isn't just about you. You can radically transform someone's life just by a recipe you made for them and the empathy and love you showed them. It's like mind-blowing. Like yeah. It's so cool to think about because, I mean, I'll go down to West Palm where my grandfather had his ranch. And to this day, here we are 20, 30 years later when he's, from when he closed it, right, is I'll walk into like a Home Depot or something. Somebody might walk out and you go, hey, you're an Esser, aren't you? My grandmother came to your grandfather's ranch, fasted, reversed her disease, did it, and our family's never been the same. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow, that is the greatest gift that you could give to mm -hmm. make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And we each have our place in that, you know? And that's just, that's what wakes, when I wake up in the morning, that's what gets me excited. Yeah, it's that ripple effect. Oh, so beautiful. That's so powerful. Yeah. 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 Well, it's so good that you went back to school <laughs> and that you did what you did because clearly you were meant to be there. And I mean, even though you were probably a challenging student to a lot of the faculty there, you know, sometimes that's what they need. So, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you, and you went into it sort of with this knowledge and sort of, you know, having this leverage place of, of knowing how powerful nutrition is. Right. And so I think that that's, I just love your story. So thank you for sharing that. That's really, that was great. So you went into sports medicine. Is that right? I did. So I went to Harvard and I did physical medicine. So when I sat down in medical school, I was like, well, what am I going to practice? Right? Because I know that I want to use lifestyle interventions, but I still need to make a living. And so mm -hmm. let's face it, this is the greatest challenge for doctors who want to do plant-based nutrition. They're given a clinic visit with five and a half minutes and no tools. 
how are they going to get someone to change their lifestyle in five and a half minutes? They can't. All they have time for is to quickly check the blood pressure, check the labs they got, and change their medications and out the door and go on to the next patient. And that is what has destroyed our medical system, right? The lack of this connection between the patient and the doctor, the lack of time to spend with the patient. So all they're doing all day is putting out little fires instead of actually turning the thing off, right? Or they're mopping up the floor of disease instead of turning off the faucet. And so I realized I didn't want to just have five and a half minutes. So I chose that I would become a specialist, right? And so I'd have more time in my clinical visits to integrate patients, you know, with healthy living into it. And I've always been, so I was number one in the U.S. in men's open doubles in 2002. I played tennis. And so tennis has been a big part of my family, obviously. And so I knew I loved working with athletes and I loved the musculoskeletal system. It just resonated with me. And so I said, all right, well, what could I do that will still let me do lifestyle medicine? And so I went to Harvard because they have the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine built into the physical medicine rehab department. So I was blessed to go there and I spent four years there. And, uh, and then I went to Mayo Clinic to do sports fellowship. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's been a lot of fun. And I'm still collaborating with a bunch of those folks over there on research and, and clinical care as well, which is a delight. Perfect. Yeah, you really answered my question because I was curious uh, about the field that you went into. So that that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, it's so true. Even when, you know, I went to the doctor. I don't go to the doctor often. I go every year to get my checkup and that's about it. And a couple of years ago, I went and <clears throat> my doctor just, and it's always a different doctor. And, you know, he, he looked at my chart and he basically said, uh, I mean, it was like three minutes tops. He told me to not drink soda because it causes diabetes and he left. <laughs> You're like, okay, thank you. Yeah. That, that wasn't like, like I know like, yeah, to, to the average person, it's like, who, how are you, how, that didn't do me any bit of good and right. I'm in good shape, but if I needed help, that wasn't going to be helpful. So that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's really hard. Here's the reality in medical school. Three things are an issue, right? For medical school and beyond. Number one is we learn in medical school what we will be paid for in practice. We don't learn what is the best medicine. Because think about it. If you taught me in medical school just to give people steamed broccoli and brown rice, I'd come out and I would not be able to pay back my $200,000 of debt, right? So that's the problem. It's a broken system from the ground up. And this is where I love Dr. Michael Clapper, right, is doing his work now, trying to educate medical students, get out there to more medical schools and plant these seeds. Mm-hmm. I do some of those talks as well. I do Skype talks to the medical school interest groups so I can kind of get into the medical schools from a distance. Uh, but the reality is we have a system right now that is broken that doesn't facilitate physicians really being leaders in lifestyle medicine because we don't pay them for it and we don't give them time for it. And let's face it, there's another reason. It does not stroke my ego to tell you to do something your grandmother could have told you. Versus if I go, look at this drug, you can only get this from me. I'm the only one you get this from because of my special license, right? And now I'm going to do that for you. And so there's, there's a lot of parts there. There's the education, there's the time, there's the money you make from it, and then there's the ego. Because when I sit down and I tell somebody, hey, you know, I want you to eat more fruits and vegetables. I want you to go to this website and buy this menu or whatever it might be. They go, uh, I paid how much for this visit, right? Versus the next guy over who says, I'm going to give you this fancy drug with a weird name or I'm going to stick a needle in you. So now don't get me wrong. I did lots of injections today for patients, et cetera. But sometimes those injections I do are my way of developing a relationship, mm. right? I want their trust. I want Mm -hmm. them to, because they expected something medical from me. And before Mm -hmm. they're willing to start eating 
the rabbit food, right? And start <laughs> exercising and sleeping and taking care of themselves. They need to know that I actually know what the heck I'm talking about. And unfortunately, sometimes that comes at the tip of a needle, right? Or with a medical prescription. But my goal always is to then get them off of that prescription if possible, right? And then not necessarily need more injections. Now, I do some regenerative medicine too, right? Platelet-rich plasma, stem cells, fat-derived stem cells, things like that. And so that I am excited about because I'm using your body's own tissues to heal itself, which is very much in line with my profile of beliefs about, you know, caring for patients. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I, it's like your approach is sort of meeting people where they're at. And most people who are used to going to their doctor and eating a standard American diet are, are not going to be keen on getting that broccoli advice. <laughs> gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think you broke that down really well because I, I think so many people wonder, you know, like so many people in our community, like they start eating this way and every time they go to the doctor, now they no longer, um, you know, really get nervous about going to the doctor, but they're really excited about it because it's always, it's, it's better and better news. Right. And this, and the doctor is going, how, you know, what happened? Oh my gosh. And so these people who are then changing their diet and getting these results get kind of pissed off because they're like, you know, why didn't I know this? Right. Like, why didn't my doctor tell me about this? What, you know, right. and it, and it is a very complex, I mean, it, there's not a one, you know, you can't sum it up in one sentence and it's not one reason. So I really appreciate that you kind of went over those reasons. Cause I think a lot of people really wonder about that. Right. It really is hard. I mean, here's what I'll tell you. I mean, again, this is why I'm letting residents and medical students and fellows work with me all the time because I want to share this message. A lot of them will actually do my four-week nutritional intervention or detox while they're with me for four weeks, and it's great to see them losing weight, feeling better. And then all of a sudden now they're sharing that with the patients and encouraging them. But the reality is it, many of them, they just never learn. So they had no idea. And it's fascinating because imagine you've been in practice for 20 years and you've been doing your best, right? The best that you know how that you were taught. And now somebody comes to you and says, you know, the, you could have done much better by giving them fruits and vegetables and, you know, and everything. Well, you have to be a really humble person to mm -hmm. say, wow, you're right. I really messed up. Because mm -hmm. think about it. If that doctor, if they really care about people, which a lot of doctors do, there's a sense now of shame and that they failed hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people that they never shared this message with. So you, they have to come from a really humble place, which most doctors don't necessarily fill up that bill. And number two is they have to come from a creative place, which is also not a place where doctors come from. Remember, all of our tests in medical school are multiple choice. There are not essay questions and unique things about the... No, no. It is A plus B equals C. It is a 36-year-old patient presents with left-sided chest pain and da-da-da-da. And what do they have? A, B, C, or D. Mm -hmm. There's not multiple options there. And so as a result, when you've got that patient coming in the door who needs to, like you said, be met where they are and nuance through this, and really their abusive relationship they're in first has to be addressed before we can start talking about addictive food patterns, mm -hmm. right? Before we go down mm -hmm. here, that doctor is clueless and just goes, because they, they, they don't even know the creativity of that model. They just go, well, well, here's a drug for your high blood pressure and here's mm -hmm. a drug for your diabetes. And that poor person is in a chronic state of cortisol that is elevated. They're chronically stressed. Their blood vessels are like this. You know, they're freaked mm -hmm. out of their mind. And all we're doing is, oh, well, and here's an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. Like, What? When it really needs to be, all right, I don't care if I'm going to be late for the rest of the day. You know, Susan, I can tell you're really hurting. Tell mm -hmm. me more about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And let her talk for a little bit. And then 
well, how are we going to work through this together? What do we have a plan? You know, how can I assist you? What, you know, da, 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 kind of on and on. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's hard when you've got, I mean, I, I'm, I know the pressures. I was seeing patients today, for example, and all of a sudden three or four people got added onto my clinic and all of a sudden I was an hour behind. Mm-hmm. And so the, the tendency in those moments is to be like, we just got to get through this. Get, got to go, 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 go. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, well, there went my lunch hour. I had no lunch. Was still seeing my morning patients at 1250. Right. Mm-hmm. And then now there's my one o'clock's already checked in. Yeah. So it's, it's tough. Because it's you're tough. working within the system that's already set and, and your approach is like out here, out here, out here. And it's not right. set up for that. So that's right. a very, that's very clear. Yeah. And the hard thing is that's where the majority of doctors are practicing, right? <clears throat> yeah. Is in that system. And so we need to help them, you know, through our vote, we need to help them with creative ideas. People who are business experts, et cetera, come in and say, Hey, I've got this idea for a standalone clinic model that works like this. Like some of my friends who are going into you know, settings where it's direct to patient care, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still lower cost and telemed, Zoom med type things, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but again, mm-hmm. most doctors are not taught to be creative, right? So they're taught to work within a specific system. So that's all they know how to do. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely we have work to do and I'll do my part as a physician in that area, you know, while we also do the other work that you and I are doing out in communities, you know, for all the folks. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen because plant-based eating is gaining in popularity, uh, especially now, like, you know, back when I was a kid, I was like a crazy person for not eating meat. And, and so now it's kind of like more getting to be a little bit more normalized and people are getting more and more curious about it. And what I see is, you know, these people are having these wonderful changes and they're going to the doctor and they're actually letting their doctor know like, Hey, this is how I'm doing it. So I feel like it's kind of like, you know, a little bit of the reverse and the patients might have to be telling the doctor, this is what I'm doing. Maybe you should look into it. 100%. Right. And then, but then there's the other issue of of the structure needing to change too. And when it's a broken system and you have to start, you know, there's so many different facets. So you, you know, you would do amazing work and thank you for doing what you're doing because you actually, you are in, you are part of that system you know, so you can do so much good from, from your position. So, and I, and I, I know how busy you are. So now I feel like I need to be really quick with this. <laughs> yeah, we got, I got all the time for you. That's why I'm here. Um, you're fine. So because you, um, do sports medicine, I have a bunch of questions about like joint and bone health. Can I kind of just like do like a rapid fire Q and A with you? Okay. My paper fell underneath my couch just now. So I'm going to grab it. So just one sec. (laughs) All right. So some of these questions, actually all these questions came from our private Facebook group. Um, and so they're questions that, that people have had, and I will just start. Okay. So do you need to drink cow's milk to have a strong bones? Let's just talk about that real quick. No. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so no other creature on earth voluntarily drinks the milk of another creature. So the very basic philosophical premise doesn't even pass the mustard test. Uh, you know, and then the next study after study demonstrates that actually the more milk you drink, especially as you increase the amount of volume, you actually increase the fracture risk. So it, absolutely, we have no need for cow's milk any more than giraffe milk or rat's milk or cat's milk. So no. And what a strange thing that we ever drink cow's milk. Very, very odd. Very, uh, very like, Stop drinking the cow pus. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Down with the cow pus. Okay. Next question is, does K2 play a role in bone health? 
So in your K2 experience. in studies, most of these studies are done in Japan and Asia, et cetera, where natto, various types of soybean-based substance have much K2 in it, uh, demonstrate that K2 does appear to improve bone health and bone mineral density and decrease fracture risk. So yes, uh, again, if you're consuming large quantities of deep green leafy vegetables and adequate total calories, et cetera, for the majority of people, we should be able to maintain good bone mineral density with that excellent nutrition along with weight-bearing resistance exercises over time. Uh, so, But if you have already had some decline in your bone mineral density, which remember, a woman peaks at about 35 and then every year after loses about 1% of bone mineral density. Mm. But studies show that if you're doing resistance training exercise, you actually can increase by 1% per year, which means you go to a neutral, right? So you're not losing as much. If due to genetics and hormones and age, you're going to lose, but with strength, exercises you improve, well, then it'll essentially neutralize out. Even but if you've already lost a lot, I think vitamin K2 is a relatively low-risk intervention and is reasonable to consider. I believe the dosing is usually around 50 micrograms or so per day, but I'd double-check that. Okay. So along with the weight-bearing exercises, what are some other things that people can do? Let's just assume that people are already eating a whole food plant-based diet, right? What are some other things that they can do to, to help with bone density apart from the, the weight-bearing exercises and possibly K2? So the studies also show us that the higher sodium content that you consume, the higher your risk of osteoporosis. Why, you should ask? Well, calcium is a cation, Ca+. Plus. It's a cation. And sodium, Na, is also a cation+. Plus. Your body's tr constantly trying to find equilibrium, right? Homeostasis, the right amount of pluses and minuses in your, in your body. But if you're eating all these cations of salt, your body goes, ah, I've got too many cations. Let me pee out some of this calcium. And so you end up peeing more out. Mm -hmm. So even if you're eating a plant-based diet, if you're adding all this excess salt and the soy sauce and all the rest, you can get into a bad place where you actually peen out more than you need. In addition, people who consume more than one caffeinated beverage per day, right? If you're downing all of that coffee or multiple green teas throughout the day, it's a diuretic, which makes you pee more, which may mm -hmm. increase, if you also look at studies, you diuresing or peeing off your calcium. So those are two areas that some people forget in the plant-based movement. I also mm -hmm. encourage people to remember, just because your bone mineral, bone mineral density slips a little does not mean you're necessarily going to have fractures. Mm -hmm. So especially, for example, hip fractures. You usually don't fracture hip unless you fall. Well, usually you don't fall if you have excellent balance, reaction time, etc. So this is where I have some people, right, used to come to my grandfather's ranch, for example, who would eat really well, they were ideal body weight, you know, no major diseases, but these ladies in particular, right, because women have higher rates of osteoporosis than men, that they would get into their 70s and 80s and they would get sloppy with their movement. They would not be doing strength and exercise. They would not be doing balance and reaction time work. Mm -hmm. And then they'd come around a corner or something and slip and boom, break a hip. And we don't want that because your likelihood of dying goes way up when you fracture your hip when you're in your 70s, let's say, or 80s. So they did this great, you know, Buddhist nun study. That's the classic one. where they looked at vegan nuns, I believe it was in Thailand, and then they looked at the free-living Thai women of age match, you know, et cetera. And they found that the Buddhist nuns had actually poor bone mineral density. They were all vegans. However, their risk of fractures were much lower. And why? Well, because they were doing Tai Chi, balance work. They were working on strength and reaction time. So if they began to fall, they could quickly catch themselves. So I encourage all my patients as we age over time in our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s to really be doing some line dancing, to be doing some Tai Chi, 
to be doing some ballroom dancing with someone they love and care about or new friends, right? Mm -hmm. But to be doing stuff that demands you are moving one way, then suddenly change direction and catch yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, so very important. Or you can take a, a beach ball and throw it back and forth with somebody that you love and then start throwing it slightly to the side so you have to reach and catch. And do that for five minutes a day with music playing. But reaction time, some of these physical things, we forget. It's not just the food. It's also the movement, right? That's so crucial. The big underpinnings of our health. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great, great advice. So that was, yeah, I kind of covered that question already. Um, okay, so what about the effects of nightshades on inflammation? So things like peppers and eggplants and white potatoes and things like that. I consider nightshades as level 2.0 or 3.0 in plant-based nutrition. So most people, the majority of the time, I say, first, get all the junk out, all this standard American diet food, eat as many fruits, vegetables, beans, rice, you know, minimally processed as you want. Once we're there, right, so we've shed the extra weight, we've gotten off the blood pressure meds, we're mm -hmm. decreasing our cholesterol, et cetera, now we go to the next level, which there is a percentage, there are, I should say, a percentage of people who are sensitive to nightshades. It is not everybody. It is not all the time, right? But there is a percentage. And so if you're finding that your joints are achy or inflamed, right, that you're having more pain throughout the body, et cetera, that your bowel movements are a little, you know, variable and all over the place and just not quite right, I think that's a good time to do a little bit of an elimination program. And maybe come down to just some, you know, brown rice along with some fresh squeezed carrot juice. Keep it real simple, a little fresh, maybe applesauce that you make at home. You do that for two or three days and you start adding food back in slowly. And you mm -hmm. see your body's mm -hmm. response. And you can begin to really intimately get to know your body. Mm -hmm. What I don't like and I caution people against is using their taste buds alone as a guide in what they should or should not be eating. Mm -hmm. I, as an extreme of that, I loved it. I remember being at the ranch. I was helping making meals this one time. And this lady walks in and, and they're like, oh, here you are, whatever her name was. Here's your food. She goes, I need to test today. And she pulls out her quartz you know, crystal and puts it over the food and it starts circulating it. And if it goes to the right, she says she can eat it. If it goes to the left, she says she can't. She's allergic to it. But lo and behold, I, I watched her do this every day. And after a while, I was like, man, it always goes a certain, like in the way she can eat it for like the dates and for like the really sweet foods <laughs> and everything else that goes to the left. And I'm like, this is not making sense. So you just, some people come see me and they'll be like, well, I, I don't do well with this and I don't do well with that. And I'm mm. like, well, tell me more. What do you mean? Mm. And often what they mean is their gut is not accustomed to the fiber and the micronutrients of the specific food. So they get flatulence, right? They're farting, mm -hmm. they get a little GI irritability, and they immediately pull back and go, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And really what it was is, remember, your bacteria need to change over time to the food that you're consuming. So when you put this food in the bacteria aren't used to, they go crazy and you get all this gas and all this stuff. But over time, the correct bacteria begin to overgrow and now you get the correct outcomes. You get less of the gas, less of these problems. So a good elimination program and then slowly add stuff back in to see if you truly are sensitive to nightshades. Mm -hmm. If you've been diagnosed, let's say, with an autoimmune disease like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, polymyalgia, rheumatica, things like that, you may want to step away from those nightshades for about six months, see your body's response, and then add some back in. Why do I say add them back in? Well, because they're so tasty and they're so much fun, right? So tomatoes are delightful and peppers are fun to eat and all these other things. So I don't think it's an all or none for the majority of us. But for people who are really sensitive, you need to be honest with yourself, right? And see your body's response. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Very practical, pragmatic, good advice. Uh, so the next one, um, how about general inflammation? So we always see about turmeric being like this powerhouse for, for inflammation, but you know, it's not, it's like, that's one thing. And people like that silver bullet, right? That one thing that's going to do the trick when really inflammation is, is it's much more complex. And so can you talk a little bit about inflammation in general and how to get inflammation down? Um, and then specific ingredients that might help a little bit more, or if we even need to worry about that and just kind of following a really healthy whole food plant-based diet is, is good enough with the occasional turmeric in it. Cause you're making a curry or something. I love it. You brought up something. I say it's called green allopathy. So allopathic medicine is MDs, right? And if you start going, ooh, this little herb or this little supplement, that's essentially green allopathy. You're still bought into this model that something needs to come from the Amazon forest to actually be really good. And it's a, it's, it's a relative shamanism, which is interesting. Like we believe that something must be better if it's unique, if it's different, if we can't normally find it in our stores and we have to get out of a bottle, right? Or somebody had to process it somewhere. So we want to be hesitant with that, be careful about that and stay away from it if possible, because it's probably not based in science as you're kind of suggesting. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, inflammation. Think of two kinds of inflammation. A, Acute inflammation is good. This is where you rolled your ankle, your ankle swells, that's inflammation. Why is it swelling? Because it draws in your platelets and your stem cells and the different growth factors to heal your ankle. Plus all that swelling limits your motion of the ankle so the ligament you tore can heal, right? Mm. So two reasons right there. So acute inflammation right after an injury, you want it. And that's why the newer studies say if you go out and played a bunch of tennis and now your elbow hurts, right? Or if you're working in the garden, your shoulder's a little swollen, do not take anti-inflammatories. There are a lot of reasons not to take them, but you don't want to block acute inflammation. You want a little inflammation there because it's actually saying something's irritable and now it needs help to heal. And that's the inflammation is what brings it there. You can ice. So 15 minutes of ice on there can be great, but it doesn't suppress the inflammation at the chemical level. Number two, chronic inflammation. That's what we don't want. So that may be, let's say you carried a lot of weight on your body. You were obese for decades. You wore your knees out, right? Because a pound above is three to 10 below. So you wear those knees out earlier. And now you've gotten a whole food plant-based diet. You've lost all the weight. You're feeling great in every other way, but you still have that arthritis, right? This chronic knee irritability because you've lost some of your cartilage layer. Well, that chronic inflammation, we don't want it. We want to bring that down as much as possible with what's on the tip of our forks or in our fingertips. So you are absolutely right. I tell patients a simple model is to think about this. When you cut an apple, it turns brown. And it turns brown because it's absorbing radicals, free radicals from the air. These are things that induce inflammation in the air. But when you eat that same bright, fresh, minimally or unprocessed food, it absorbs your free radicals. The very aspect of something rotting or decaying is oxidation. It is breaking down. It's absorbing the oxygen from the air, the free radicals from the air, etc. So when you consume these bright, colorful, unprocessed raw fruits and vegetables, you're essentially giving yourself medicine. There's nothing particularly radically special, for example, about celery juice that people say, oh, I drink celery juice and I've been doing it every day and I feel better. It's just you're eating a vegetable. You're drinking a vegetable. You're getting all those micronutrient-rich things fresh into your body that reduce inflammation. In addition, don't forget, right? I love this because it makes so much sense. Arachidonic acid is a big molecule that our body breaks down to form what are called prostaglandins. 
Prostaglandins are inflammatory molecules that irritate your tissue, that irritate your joints, etc. And so processed foods, fried foods, meat and dairy are the top sources of arachidonic acid in your diet. Now, we all know about this inherently because if you take an ibuprofen, Motrin, Aleve, Naproxen, et cetera, any anti-inflammatory, it blocks the conversion of arachidonic acid down to prostaglandins. It blocks that conversion. That's how they make people have less inflammation. But the real answer is take the arachidonic acid out of your diet, and as a result, you have less of the parent molecule so it doesn't overflow down to form the prostaglandins. So this is why many women, for example, they go, well... I've changed my diet totally. I'm eating all the fruits and vegetables. And my periods, they just sneak up on me like a ghost in the night. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have all the cramping and pain anymore. And that's because prostaglandin, F2-alpha, is actually the little tiny demon that spikes your uterus when you have your periods. But you don't form as much of that if you're not eating all the arachidonic acid. So you take the arachidonic acid out, immediately you have less chronic inflammation in your body because you have fewer prostaglandins. Next, we've got all these really cool molecules that we call phytonutrients, right, or flavonoids, all these different terms that are out there for cool things like quercetin and rutidin and things like obviously all the B vitamins and all this. But all of these things are micronutrients that talk to our cells at the surface of the cell. So you want to remember, all of your viewers out there, that when you eat food, it is information at the cellular level either causing that cell to form more inflammation or less. Because remember, when your body is doing its cellular functions, it still produces waste. Just like a factory, the factory produces something, you get the product over here, but you get waste over there. The same thing when your cells are working, as I'm waving my hands and talking, my cells are producing waste products from the work that I'm doing. That has to be broken down, processed, and eliminated. And the more efficient... The factory is, A, the less of these toxins you produce, and B, the better at getting it out of the system quickly so you can continue to work on it. So imagine the person who's eating the standard American diet is overweight and obese, is suffering with a lot of chronic inflammation. Because remember, our belly fat is a factory of inflammation. So your belly fat is releasing cytokines, which are inflammatory molecules that damage your joints everywhere. There are these really fascinating studies that show that just having increased belly fat increasing your risk of hand arthritis. At first, it was like, well, how does that make sense? Well, it was because these different inflammatory molecules, what we call adipokines, adipose fat kind from cytokine or inflammatory molecule, mm-hmm. these little molecules come out of your belly fat, they circulate and damage your joints. And they turn off your cartilage and say, stop working, go to sleep. And before you know it, your, your cartilage is wearing down. And so we want to turn the cartilage back on, turn the lights on in the factory, clean out the garbage, and say, let's get going again. And this is where, like my grandfather always said, I love one of his flyers from back in the 70s. It said, men and women in your 50s and 60s don't go on the shelf. Because so many people think that it's normal to have achy joints, that it's normal to be chronically just tired and fatigued. It's Mm -hmm. not. So Mm -hmm. when you're eating those fruits and vegetables and all those bright, colorful rainbow foods, as I like to say, you are enhancing the efficiency of cellular metabolism, which then produces less waste, is more efficient, so you have more energy, and turns on all the growth factors at the different levels. Mm -hmm. So crucial, good stuff right on the tip of your fork. 
Awesome. I love how, uh, how much you love this because it makes it very interesting and it makes it very easy to digest. So thank you. <laughs> yes. Good. Wonderful. Yeah. And it, and it makes sense, you know, and I think, Oh, I see so many people who are just suffering because then they get older and they think, well, this is just the way that it is. I just start to, we just start to break down when we get older and this is just part of getting old, you know? And at the same time, I see somebody like my mom who's well into her seventies, who does yoga every day, who is so healthy, but she's, you know, had plants her whole life. So I know that it's, and, and women in our community as well, who are, you know, 80, uh, going on 90 and still having, having their eyesight get better. And like all this incredible stuff. So it's, right? it's so powerful. It is so beautiful. And I think that's, if anything, that I want your viewers right to take home is they are powerful. It's yeah. not, you know, some drug or something. Drugs have their place. Surgeries have their place. But don't forget how powerful you are. Mm-hmm. And you deserve to give yourself the gift of two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, right? To see what your body could do. It's like I had a 72-year-old guy the other day. He came in with horrible back pain, chronic spasms, and all this. You know, he's 72. He could have said, ah, leave me alone. Just give me a shot. Give me a drug. But he talked with me. I shared my enthusiastic message, right? And he said, I'm going to give it a try, doc. He went home. He came back six weeks later. He was 30 pounds down. He was off all his blood pressure and cholesterol meds with normal numbers, with rechecks. His back pain was like 90% better. He didn't spasm anymore. And guess what? His hands, which used to be swollen all the time from his high blood pressure and everything, he was having to get his wedding ring resized because he was no longer swollen all day. And he had psoriasis for 30 years, which was almost completely gone in just six weeks. Mm. And so this speaks to the power of the body to be radically healthy and well. Yeah. And so people hear all that and they go, oh, it can't be true. Give me a break. And it's funny because we would never say that about our cars in the sense of, let's say you go to the car and you're like, oh, look, you look at the label and it says requires unleaded fuel. And you're like, oh, well, I'm going to put diesel in and see what happens. You start putting diesel in and all of a sudden your fuel filter goes bad. The fuel seal rots out. The fuel injector gets clogged. Well, wait, I just listed like three or four quote diagnoses and they're all the same problem. So yes, when you put the right fuel in your body, the majority of these disease processes they're just physiologic responses to abuse. They're not true diseases. High mm. blood pressure is not a disease. It's a response mm-hmm. to abusing the system. Type 2 diabetes is not a disease. It's a physiologic response to all the inflammatory molecules blocking insulin from doing its job at your receptor sites. And as a result, your blood sugar is fine. Mm. No magic. Mm-hmm. Just like with the car, get the diesel out, right? Clean things up. Get the right fuel in in your body feels amazing the overwhelming majority of time for the majority of people yes that's what's exciting about the message yes yes because our bodies are meant to work yes yes and (laughs) work well yes yes and feel good as we age as well so awesome so let me just okay but so before we wrap up i want to just kind of hit on one thing that you talk a lot about on your instagram feed and that is the importance of good nutrition for the immune system and how right now, especially because of this pandemic and how underlying conditions can be, uh, well, deadly really, uh, if you, if you were to get this virus, but how little focus, not surprisingly is, is put on nutrition and how important that can be to protect people right now if they do get it. So can you talk just a little bit about that? Because you bring up some really, really great points. If for no other reason, today is the day as a result of this pandemic 
for you to make radical changes in the food that you're eating on a daily basis. Because the data is insurmountable and unarguable that what you eat radically influences the function of your immune system. You want to remember that 80% of your immune system lines your intestinal tract. So the food you eat educates your immune system right there. In addition, the studies are clear and robust that the more micronutrient-rich plant-based foods we eat, the berries, the greens, the onions, the mushrooms, all of these wonderful things, that they can upregulate and activate in a positive way your immune system. So the studies now with coronavirus, COVID-19 also are compelling because they're backing up the same data we've had for 20 to 30. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Why didn't we listen before? Well, we should have, but now's the day, right? Because the data we have for the common flu, the data we have for MERS, for SARS, for H1N1, all of the data back then show that the more extra weight you carried, if you were obese, for example, you increased your risk of getting the disease, having a severe issue with it, being intubated in an ICU and dying. And that's exactly what we're seeing with coronavirus, the exact same thing. The more weight you're carrying on your body, it is merely a sign that you are compromised. And that's the problem because right now, 70% of Americans are overweight or obese. And if you look at the data out of the New England Journal of Medicine, it's predicted that by 2030, the top BMI categories in all of the U.S., will be severe obesity for women, for non-Hispanic black, and for those in poverty. That's a problem. So severe obesity will be the number one body mass index in all of the country for these groups. And so as a result, you want to remember that if you're overweight or obese, you increase your risk of type 2 diabetes by 300, 900%. If you're overweight or obese, you increase your risk of heart attacks and strokes and, of course, of just blood pressure issues themselves. Mm-hmm. So all these diseases, so if you look at the data out of Italy and out of China and now out of New York as well, yes, if you have high blood pressure, you have heart disease, if you have high cholesterol, if you have diabetes, if you have a history of COPD, if you have liver disease or kidney, renal insufficiency, et cetera, you have much higher rates of being admitted to an ICU, of having severe disease, of being intubated, and of dying. So this is the time right now to make radical changes in what you're eating. So as you've heard me say, some people say this isn't the time. And I say, are you kidding me? Every time that you put something on the fork is the time to think about what you're eating. I had a patient today who said to me, oh, I said, have you started you know, my healthy four-week living thing? And he goes, oh, not yet. I know you gave it to me, but uh, I've been so busy with the virus thing. And I'm looking at him and going, but I called him out. And I said, are you still eating? And he said, kind of sheepishly, yes. And I said, well, and he got it right away. And I said, now is the time. I care about you, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to be well. Please care about yourself. You can do this and I can support you, yeah. right? But the reality is, yes, these blood pressure issues, these diabetes, the extra weight we're carrying, the heart disease, these impair our body's health and its ability to fight off infection. Mm-hmm. So right now, more than ever before, if not before, this is the time for you to address these health issues. And the beauty is the stuff that you're talking about and you're, you're, you know, all of the folks you invite to chat with you, et cetera, that we're all talking about, right, is how powerful each of your viewers are to radically reverse diseases, to enhance their health long term, and right now to upregulate and improve their immunity. So yeah. love yourself with food that loves you back. It's no longer time to have that complicated relationship with food where you love, hate relationship and you feel guilty and shame. No, no more of that. I mean, I say that to women when they're men, when they're in an abusive relationship. That's not where you deserve to be. 
And mm -hmm. so food that is unhealthy for us is abusing our bodies. And we're saying, oh, but I love you so much. And then it's hurting us and it's harming us. And it's time to get back to the simple message that food is meant for our health and our vitality mm. and embrace it where it is in this beautiful multicolored rainbow of, of micronutrients and fiber and water and that just that feeds you and leaves you feeling content and at peace, like a healthy relationship where you feel respected and appreciated. And that's how our relationship with food should be every day. You said it. And I could not agree more. And like we had touched on before, it, it happens pretty quickly. It's not yeah. like you start doing this now and then a year and a half from now, you're no. going to see results. I mean, this happens right. really fast. And, and the amount of joy that you can get from just eating a really health-promoting plant-based diet is incredible. And that's something I've been eating this way for for so, so long. Um, and it never gets old. Like that feeling of taking care of myself and just the, the mood, your, your mood changes. I mean, that just keeps going. So it's not like it's something like a diet that wears off and cause it's not a diet, you know, I mean, right. it is just such a lifestyle change and paradigm shift. So thank you so much for your enthusiasm and for your knowledge and for sharing this. And I'm going to actually put this up on the blog like next week, because this is a message that needs to get out now. People need to hear this. So thank you so much. Thanks for the chance to join you. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing to inspire people out there. I appreciate you welcoming uh, to your program and letting me join you. And anytime I can be of service, you know where I am. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Esser. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you could rate and review it. That would mean a lot. And if you want to learn more about our whole food plant-based meal plans, head on over to our website, cleanfooddirtygirl.com and check them out. You can also pick up a ton of plant-based recipes and resources and get inspired to celebrate human imperfection because none of us are perfect. None of us promise. And isn't that a relief? Oh my gosh. Okay. Have a beautiful week and I'll talk to you again soon. Dreamer, come alive. Come alive in my body.